All right. Welcome everybody to the Fireside Freedom podcast here. I'm here with Thesia, Ken, Nate, and Toolman Tim. I'm Kerry, and we're going to talk about, uh, I think I called it the, uh, the steady stoic. And we're kind of going to discuss how the philosophy of stoicism is a good fit for uh, your pursuit of freedom and personal responsibility. I'm just going to cover the eight principles of it real quick for people who are kind of new to this, this school of thought and just kind of warm everybody up to uh, what we're going to discuss here. And Stoicism is a, is a Greek philosophy, um, goes way back, uh, still incredibly timely. It's kind of having a resurgence of popularity. So the principles are the principle of nature. Nature is rational. The law of reason, that the universe is governed by the law of reason, and humans can't actually escape its force, but they can uniquely follow the law deliberately. Virtue, meaning a life led according to rational nature. Wisdom is the root virtue. From it springs the cardinal virtues of insight and bravery, self-control and justice. Apathy. Since passion is irrational, life should be waged as a battle against it. Intense feeling is to be avoided. Evil, and in this case they mean poverty, illness, and death are not to be considered evil. And the final one is duty. That virtue should be sought, not for the sake of pleasure, but as a duty. So, with those kind of principles loosely in mind, I've got some questions for the crew tonight. And the first one I'm going to pose is... Uh, and I'm going to start with uh, Thesia here. If you've ever gotten the sense that you were a slave to your own emotional reactions, and how did you go about changing that? Absolutely. I was born hot-headed, pain in the butt. Mom said when I was three days old, I got so mad I tried to roll out of bed, and she caught me in midair. And I have fought that type of mentality my entire life. And I don't know if it's just because I'm old now or what, because it has only been in the last few years I've been learned to hold my tongue to, uh, to do to do better. I still got a pretty good temper, but not. It that is something I truly have fought my entire life. I hear you on that. Um, do you feel like that's just something that's come along with life experience, the ability to control those emotions? Um. Partly, I, I do know that if you ever met my parents, everybody who's ever met my parents go, ooh, now I, I know that's why you are the way you are. Up on me. And are you there? Yeah, go okay. ahead. So, yeah, I inherited it. Uh, we're all bullheaded. We, uh, my mom is hot-headed. Uh, so I think my biggest deal is I have made up my mind that I will overcome this <laughs> because... And this is going to sound awful because I'm not going to be like my mom. <laughs> I, th I think that's a perfectly valid motivation. And it's one that I, I relate to myself. How about you, Ken? How would you say that you, uh, have you ever felt like you, that emotions were running your life or has that never been an issue for you? <laughs> well, I wouldn't say never. Um, I'm, I'm one probably today to more be a stuffer. Uh, like I, I told my wife that I had a feeling or I had an emotion once and I stuffed it and, and that's the end of it. Um, when I was a kid though, you know, 
from, I don't know, a baby on up to, I don't know if it was my middle teens or something, I would fight at the drop of a hat. And I mean, I would, I would drop the hat. Like I had a temper mm-hmm. that had the shortest fuse in the world. So it, it didn't take much to set me off. And I'm not sure what it was that changed, but I, I guess eventually I decided that this probably wasn't going to help me out in life to, to allow myself to be ruled by, at the time, I, I didn't know that it was emotions, but I just knew that the anger was getting me nowhere. You know, you can punch somebody or throw something and all you ended up doing was hurting your fist or breaking a window or something, and then you had to fix it. So I'm not sure what changed other than just making the decision that, you know, this this doesn't help at all, so something's got to give. And I, I guess at that point, I'd kind of leveled out my emotions maybe a little too far at times trying to get some of that back but yeah that's yeah. pretty well where i'm at i i can relate to that i've i've one extreme to the other and trying to find that middle ground again mm-hmm. all right nate have you ever have you ever felt like your emotions were running your life instead of purposeful decisions on your part the only time it ever runs my life is it motivates me to get shit done or do something different or jump in and just do something randomly. Um, I've always been the, I don't listen to authority all that well. And I also don't have a ton of patience for people. Um, especially when I know things that I'm doing things that work out better for me than what I'm, what you're suggesting. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, kind of really how it goes for me i don't deal all that well with uh dealing with other people's bs Uh, i don't have time i have other things to get done in life and if you're gonna give me 20 stories on why you can't do this then i don't have time for you i'm just gonna keep moving forward right on right on how about you tim yeah i'd say first i going back in my high school days and, you know, early twenties, I, I was probably ruled by anxiety. I, uh, I've struggled with that my whole life, always been an anxious person. And, uh, when I was younger and didn't know how to control it, I would let it, uh, freeze me. So I'd be completely overwhelmed with anxiety. Sometimes for no reason, it would just show up. And what that would do is cause inaction. So I just wouldn't do anything. I would just be like, all right, I'm just going to go lay down or go hide in my room or go do whatever. And I didn't get any shit done because of it. <clears throat> and uh, I think that was quite a big reason why I was a pushover as a, I know it's hard to believe, but a pushover in high school, uh, probably even into my early 20s. And I know this will be funny, but uh, getting married helped me with that a lot. Uh, Becky was the complete opposite of a pushover. And she would tell you, we were like complete opposite dichotomy. She would be at one end of the teeter-totter. I was at the other. And we've both met in the middle over the years. And I've I've gotten really good. So something I never did was emote. I never got mad at people. I never told them anything. And uh, especially running your own business, I've changed that a lot. Like if, if you knew me now, I might even come across as a bit of a dick sometimes because I spent so many years I spent so many years being a pushover, letting everyone else, you know, make the decisions, do whatever that I'm like, you know what, it's time to, it's time to catch up. It's time to make up for lost time. 
And I just realized, you know what? If if I have an opinion, I'm going to say it. I, I tend to be pretty loving in my opinions. And if somebody is mistreating me, I walk away or tell them to fuck off now, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at. And that wasn't me, even, even up until I was 30. So yeah, I've definitely been a slave to that for sure. I hear you. Yeah, I can, I can relate to everything each one of you said. Like I've experienced all of that and I came to stoicism because I was tired of feeling like um, that emotions were running my life, that I did not have a, an actual means of, of steering myself and my own behavior. So uh, it, it's kind of been an ongoing process. Uh, the next question is, in most cases, the expression of one kind of emotion is actually a cover for another emotion. Uh, a common one is that anger is usually used as a cover for fear or sadness. So starting with Thesea, can you recall a time that you experienced something like that and, and that you recognized it and that you needed to address it? Yeah, a, a regular part of my life, I'm a crier. You know, Ken may have gotten to fights with a drop of hat, but you could look at me wrong and I would cry. And generally, I cry when I'm frustrated. And so that that is the frustration that has a tendency to be a mainstay in my life. And sometimes I cry a lot. <laughs> How about you, Ken? I was trying to come up, trying to think of something. I, I don't know. It, it's hard when when you don't emote a lot. Like Tim says, it's hard to think of, you know, when maybe you've felt something or expressed one thing as a cover for another. I know, I mean, I probably the biggest emotion or feeling that I get is anger at just the stupidity of people sometimes. But I, mm -hmm. I think I, I don't show it a whole lot or, I mean, my wife can see it. She knows what, what's going on. Cause you know, after being married for almost 15 years, they, they kind of learn to know your little signs, mm -hmm. but, um, I mean, that would probably be the biggest thing I feel. I, and I think the way that comes out is I just tend to shut off everything and I kind of get a blank, a blank look and just, I guess maybe the, I've, I've become kind of apathetic towards the other person. It's like, once you've pissed me off, it's just, I, I want nothing yeah. to do with you now. And I'm, mm -hmm. I'm just done. I'm going to shut everything off and like, you'll feel it. You won't know what's going on, but you'll feel that there's a barrier there. Yeah. And I'm trying to get a little better with that, but I'm still a work in progress for sure. Right on. How about you, Nate? Yeah, I, I know with me, if if I have a long day and it's just been like a rough day at work dealing with a bunch of BS, I need that hour ride home to decompress. Because if I don't have it, then I bring that right back here. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the biggest things I need to work on. I see it a lot. I have, Aaron's mentioned it a few times. Like I'll just have a bad day at work and we just kind of know to stay away from each other for the day. And it, you know, a couple hours later, I'm usually fine. But in general for fear, if the easiest way to tell you, tell that I'm afraid of something is I want to learn something new. So I will go down a rabbit hole if I'm afraid of something. And that, that's, that's per fantastic. that perfectly explains how we ended up with meat rabbits, how we ended up growing our own food here. 
because I was afraid of some stuff when we got started. And I'm like, okay, well, I need to get over that and we need to figure something out. So I went down that rabbit hole. Way, Way to spin that into a positive. Yeah. All right, Tim. Yeah, um, there's so many ways to take this. I think I want to touch on the fear thing first. Um, so I watched a video the other day. Uh, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this guy. His name's Tom Scott. He's a British guy, and he does. He's got like five or six million <clears throat> subscribers, and he just does really random things. Like he went to um, a canal the other day that was electrified, where they keep fish from getting into the Great Lakes, that kind of thing. Anyway, he has a different channel where he does long form stuff. And I watched him the other day and he faced his fear of roller coasters. Now it was incredible because it was just one of those things that, you know, some people are just scared of roller coasters and to watch him go through the whole process. It was one of the few times I'd really felt something watching a video in a long time because the guy was literally scared shitless. He was almost crying. He gets on the roller coaster and then he's like, pumped up and as he's going he's screaming and hollering and throwing his fist in the air it was one of the best videos i'd seen in forever and i was like if he can do that <laughs> i can do that you embrace the fear and and you know do the war cry and charge and there's things you can get done that you're scared of and it was very motivating but <laughs> i just looked that video up if anybody's interested because it was one of the coolest things i'd seen in a long time but for me it's usually anger or frustration that comes out. So I was thinking the other day, I was working on installing a new bathroom fan here at the house. And Becky knows when things are not going quite right, she hears the occasional curse word coming from wherever it happens to be. And so I'm in there and I'm sweating and I'm getting covered in old insulation coming down all over my face. And I can't get this pipe to fit and I can't get the fan to fit and I'm swearing and I'm hollering Finally, I'm like, you know what? I need to take a break. I need to walk out, cool off. Becky's like, hey, I'll get you a towel. I'll dry you off. (laughs) 20 minutes later, I went back. I had it done in two minutes because I got pissed off. And, you you know, that's just how I do projects sometimes. If I get to the point where, and Ken is shaking his head because I think he knows what I'm talking about. I get to that point where I am absolutely so mad that I just got to walk away for a minute. And then usually I come back. And I can solve it right away. I want to add something to that. I, I know the feeling there. Dad and I used to do a lot of uh, hardy board siding on houses. And sometimes the pieces just would not fit. I was always the ladder guy. I was always up on the ladder and he was throwing stuff up to me. And sometimes the piece wouldn't get fit. And he could tell when I was at the point of smashing something. He'd be like, hold on set it down, climb down and said, I'll go up there and do that piece for a while. I'll work on that. Like you, you just got to stop and walk away. <laughs> so I, I, I know the, the anger, the, the, the shit just won't go together. Right. That's, that's something that gets to me. It's, and it's kind of funny for myself. It's even seems like inanimate objects anger me more than people do because it, it might be because I'm controlling the object and it's not doing what I'm, forcing it to do mm-hmm. and i don't i don't know that that gets to me more than people do sometimes <laughs> yeah for sure and we got we got a shout out to those wives and those husbands and partners who who step in and are like take it easy take a breather um i uh, i also inherited quite the temper 
and you know so we're just down the hill from dad dad's barn and i can hear when dad's having trouble with a bike or something up there you know so and and it's the same way and and like nate was saying about needing that decompression time that is that's critical for me too especially even if even if the day's gone well you know and i've been out working landscaping whatever the case has been um i need that decompression time and i kind of had to get angel to understand and she picked it up pretty quick even when i was still working on an ambulance like when i get home please unless something is on fire or getting covered in water and you can't turn it off i need a minute just to not not to not to deal with like one more thing on the plate there's just something about it that's still something i have to work on that doesn't you know it doesn't set me off but uh yeah it's i don't it's odd how we all confess to having this kind of lack of patience and dealing with frustration yet we're all doing work or you know whether it's for a job or at home or in most cases both that requires fighting with stuff and making stuff work and yet we are so happy once we accomplish it like the you know there is a reward there but you know in the meantime it could get ugly so uh yeah that that ability to step away and and chill for a minute uh I'll, I'll, I'll tell a real quick anecdote here. I don't know if, uh, if I've told it to you guys in person before, but Angel and I haven't been together very long and I was in my early twenties and I was kind of an ass and I was going off about something and I don't even remember what it was. It was probably something related to work. It was probably something drama related. It was just, it was one of those things that was like way outside my circle of control or influence or any of that. And Angel was kind of like, Hey, Hey, could you just like, mellow for a minute and i yelled at her i am mellow and she just looked at me and turned around and walked away and that was a moment that was like okay time to grow up a little bit so yeah you guys can look at me and say i am mellow and then you'll be in on the joke now all right so um tim real quick did you have something yeah i was just gonna throw in i i think for me and i'm wondering because carrie you were talking about how we all do these things where we work with our hands and do mm-hmm. projects. It almost seems like it's part of the process. You know, <clears throat> you almost have to get to that point, that breaking point. I don't know. That's just how my brain works. You know, I got to work on something. And then when I come up against something, that overwhelmingness or the, the anger comes out for a couple of minutes. And then that's what reminds me, okay, calm the hell down, take a breath. And then, it allows my brain to reset and find a solution. But for me, it almost seems like part of the process sometimes. And, you know, may, whether that's good or bad, I don't know, but it's definitely part of the process. Yeah, I'd say so. And I also think, you know, in, in general, um, humans are intended to be met with a challenge and to learn how to overcome it. I think we're hardwired to to want to do that. And it kind of does actually lead really well into the next question of, our, our current societal setup kind of kind of gives people the impression, especially through advertising and marketing, that we should always be happy, that we should always be experiencing pleasure um, and that we should never experience anything negative. None of that. Like it's all just, you know, puppies and kittens and rainbows, as we like to say. So with that kind of constant marketing push everywhere you see, how do y'all overcome that so go ahead Thesia. um i'm too genuine to fake 
anything. Uh, I, but I, I have to admit, I try to keep in mind because I was trying as a YouTuber, I try to keep it where people want to watch me. And uh, I was watching a girl one time, uh, and she's lamenting that, that she was going to have to uh, harvest her pigs that day. And she was showing up closes of her with tears going down her face. I'm going, This is boring. You know, I we all have losses, we all have to things that we have to do. and. I'm here to escape life, to watch you too, not to watch you cry because you've chosen a life that might make you cry occasionally. So, yeah, I still don't have a whole lot of empathy, I guess. Huh? <laughs> I was going to say earlier, too, when I didn't know where my mute button was, is I am learning that the more I learn, the fewer tools I throw. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. All right, Ken. Yeah, that's... It... I'm not sure. <laughs> I was going to go somewhere with that and, and it kind of left me. I wanted to go back a little bit on your other question. It's kind of interesting how when, you know, I was, I, I'm a Christian and so I, I pray for patience, but I only want the patience. I don't want the thing that's going to give me the patience to have to exercise it. So no matter where your philosophy is, you know, where you're going with your life, whether you're going for happiness or whether wherever you're going for, you don't get the thing without going through the work. So, you know, getting angry at a tool, at something not working right, we want to be patient with the thing, but, you know, patience only actually comes or love or whatever the emotion is that only actually comes in the exercising of it, not just to having it. You have to actually utilize it for it to be there. Um, with on the happiness thing, you know, I I like happiness. I like puppies and rainbows and kittens and all those things. But I, I think to to um, what I've done to combat the marketing of it is actually find the real things that make me happy. Because if you look at at the news and watch TV or movies or listen to the radio, they're all pushing the fake happiness. You know, mm -hmm. you you can always get it in a pill or. In a, in a bottle or, or something. That's where most of the marketing pushes their happiness from. I think, you know, true happiness comes in finding ways that to utilize your gifts and your strengths and not only for yourself, but to make a difference for other people. That's kind of where I go with that. I like it. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. So, so the easiest way I keep happy, February 25th, 2020, I shut the media off and I walked away. Good I was call. done. I was not going to deal with it anymore. And now Aaron and I just, if we hear anything pop up, we sit there and laugh. Because it's, it, it's a three-ring circus. Mm -hmm. That's the easiest way to put it. You have too many people who are interested in the bread and circuses and not understanding what's going on and the other thing that keeps us happy is anytime we cook a meal that comes 100 percent from our property which was a couple nights ago we had rabbit awesome so that's uh that's definitely something that keeps us going and then i know with the kids they're always happy when we get kits and they're semi-sad when they you know get put in the freezer but 
now they have rabbit feet to play with. We made a whole bunch of rabbit feet and they get, you know, helped yeah. out with that. And now they get to show everybody, Hey, I made this. And everybody asks, well, what's that? It's like, well, real rabbit foot. <laughs> All right, Tim. So I don't know. Happy. I think maybe it's a generational thing. You know, most of us are either kind of late Gen Xers or, or early millennials you know that kind of and so there was a lot of nihilism in there anyway you know i'm a gen xer and the whole world's going to hell whatever but i as far as the idea of being happy i don't I, part of it is the media pushes that it's a feeling or it's something you're always looking for i don't i don't like i don't know i don't call happy necessarily something i feel it's a state that i'm in i i don't it's really hard to explain but you know we went away for the weekend with the kids and i was happy well, Becky and I got to spend time together and I was happy. I enjoyed that. But, I, you know, you don't walk around like friggin' rainbow and butterflies like, oh, you know, or I don't know, or, or a lot of the TikTokers like Theseus said, you know, the crying or just absolute um, manic depressive up and down. That's just I don't know. I'm just chill, you know, happy for me. I, happy and sad look about the same for me. But I, I know when I'm happy and I know when I'm not happy. <laughs> And I just, you know, I know when I'm content and I know when I'm going after something that I want, but happy is just a state for me. You know, if I'm doing something I enjoy, if I'm getting motivation out of it, if I'm spending time with my family, that that's what it is. I, you know, I don't run around and smile all the time, but that's, that's just happy for me. I hear you. Yeah. In my case, it, this is, this is something I really have to work on because even though like Nate, I pay no attention to any mainstream media anymore. I'm largely ignorant on all of that, uh, happily, so you might say. Um, but I, there is still a part of my brain that wants to tell me things like, well, you, you should feel this way. Like I deal with the I should feeling quite a bit. And I realize that instead I'm just aiming for like a general level of contentment. And there's, it, there, it, there's kind of a spectrum there. And as long as I feel like I've taken steps every day to like secure my personal freedom to, um, you know, earn money to take care of business around here on the farm that I've been working on learning something that I've made another good um, customer relationship or something like that. All of that equals, you know, contentment and security to me, which I guess is my version of happy. Um, that has for the most part kept like I, I don't swing from one extreme to the other anymore i'm just i'm very you know steady as she goes you might say uh all right my let's see what aaron said here right now right i can do i can be doing something and not be super happy but it's something i want to do i mean that's it right there uh the I just I, I think um, with with a society that's so fixated on consumerism uh, and if you look at the history of marketing and advertising, it's it's very dark and it's very nasty. And so we I think we have a responsibility as freedom loving people and we want everybody to be free that we can demonstrate that there are ways to experience contentment and joy and a sense of settledness is kind of how I describe it. Um, without chasing the newest product or the, you know, whatever 
concoction of chemicals they're trying to throw at you. I'm just going to jump in right quick. I, I, and I think that the media and, you know, I don't want to sound like an old man yelling at clouds, but, may, you know, maybe the younger generation a little bit seemed to, <laughs> damn you, but seemed to be chasing the feeling instead of the substance, right? Um, yeah. And it's like, what, you know, I, I bring my son up a lot because he asked me, he's like, dad, how, how do you get motivated? How do you, how do you do shit all the time? And I'm like, I just do it. You know, I don't, I don't feel like getting out of bed and doing shit. I just do it. And then after I do it, that's when I get the contentment or the happiness from it, you know, and uh, a lot of people try to short circuit it and look for the feeling without putting any of the work in. And I don't think you can have both. I think, I think just the feeling without the work is hollow and it doesn't last, you know, but um, I think for me, happiness is the overall contentment when I'm doing what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, working hard. And a lot of people, again, they, they just chase the, the quick feeling and whatever it happened, it could be whatever it is, but mm -hmm. there's no substance behind it. And so I don't want to say it's not legitimate, but it definitely isn't long lasting. Can, you know we, dig into that? can we dig into that a little bit? Where, where does that come from? Where, especially the younger generation, I mean, hate on millennials. I am a millennial. Maybe I'm one of the good older millennials. I don't know, <laughs> but like, where does that come from? Where, the people only want to chase the feeling rather than the, the substance of it. Like going after, I don't know, the end result instead of, instead of going through the work, like what's, what's happened that we've gotten there. Because everybody in our generation got a participation trophy. Everybody's Full special. And a story. I, you know what? I, I would like to say, I think that it's human nature that no matter what, and whether you want to say, whether it's Darwinism or, you know, theism or whatever you want to say, I think it's in our nature to look for shortcuts and to look for, you know, especially when you were the caveman chasing, you know, the brontosaurus or whatever you wanted, you know, if you came across one that was almost dead, you're going to be happy because, Hey, I can cut it up and eat it. I don't have to chase it down and hunt it and do all that. I think there, there is something in our nature. I just think that maybe some of the, the newer, the younger generations are probably, and maybe it's not even completely their fault because like you said, Carrie, uh, media and advertising is one of the sleaziest things out there. And if you get into people when they're young and it gets in their brain, whatever it is they develop when they're young is going to stick with them. But I think it's in our nature period to look for shortcuts. I just, but I think you're absolutely right about the participation trophies, Nate. Well, you can look for shortcuts to do things faster the right way. And you can look for shortcuts to half-ass stuff and still try and reap the same rewards. I see the, the latter of the two every single day, and it pisses me off. You know, there's I see daily the shortcuts being taken and not having the pride in doing what you do and not giving a shit about getting stuff done right. Where like oh, where ahead. do movies and music and, and all the media come in? I mean, because if you really allow yourself to get into watching a movie, you know, they a good movie really pulls at your emotions. You you feel all the feelings without going through any of the work. Does does that play into it? Like especially probably starting with with my generation, the millennials, 
we grew up with TV and movies and that was where it seemed like it just exploded when I was a kid. It really got huge. And, you know, from the time I was a kid, maybe, maybe not when I was a kid, but my generation had all of those feelings in a box, basically, you know, they could watch a movie and feel the excitement without actually doing the thing. Does, does that, as they grew older, did that affect where, how they approach life as well? Because I, I don't know. Is that making any sense? It I makes a little bit yeah. of sense. Like, yeah. I know when I was in college, I loved studying the different generations, you know, the between the baby boomers and the Gen Xers. And, you know, at that time, that was about it. But I always looked at it as um, like a pendulum. You know, one generation would swing one way, one would swing the other. But you look at the hippies, you know, the free loving generation. I mean, all they were looking for was, I don't want to say all of them, but, you know, they, they were looking for the high or the love or whatever it was and not necessarily the work that went in behind it. But then they grew up to be the baby boomers who ended up working nine to five jobs their whole life. So I don't know. It's just weird. It definitely swings back and forth. And I think the millennials and whatever the hell's coming after them, I think they they definitely stand less of a chance for sure. I think it has something to do with like the fourth turning. If you think about it, every one of us has wants better for our children than what we had for ourselves. And it can only get better to some point. And, and I think we're at, and so I can't, and I was looking for it. I couldn't find it, but the fourth turning, you know, that, that bad times make strong men, strong men make good times, good time make weak men. And then, so I think that we're in that stage now where you found it. <laughs> so um, I think that we're in, in, in that, that stage where we're just going to have to start learning to be tough again and teach the next generation to be tough. Yeah, I, I was going see? right down that road. These <laughs> My mind went there too. <laughs> uh, what do you guys see in Gen Z? Like the, the kids that are coming up, you hear, I, I've heard a lot of optimism about that generation because they see, uh, we call them, I'm saying a generation just to kind of differentiate my generation got, you know, hit really hard with the propaganda, go to college, go to college, ended up in massive debt. I think Gen Z sees that doesn't want any part of that life. They don't want the nine to five. They don't want the college debt. Don't want all of that. So they're finding a different way. Is there kind of an optimism there? Or, I mean, in some aspects, I, I think there is some optimism or should be. I'm not sure I how far to take so. that. I like, I look at my kids. So my, 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 my three oldest are millennials, late millennials. And my two youngest, the twins are, are staunch Gen Z's. And I mean, there's some weird things about Gen Z, don't get me wrong, but I definitely, and I, you know, I'm basing it on my small interactions, but I would, I definitely have way more optimism for Gen Z. There, there's definitely a work ethic there, or I don't know if it's a work ethic, but it seems like they're looking for success. They, they want it, which I think is exciting. I like that a lot. And I think they're looking at all the bullshit that came with the millennials, you know, because they're, man, and I don't, this is not supposed to be beat up on millennial day because fuck Gen <laughs> Xers were a mess too. Yeah. But, um, you know, you just look at, man, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole completely, but all the woke bullshit and all of that, you know, and I think the generation, you know, my girls are very tolerant, but also they're seeing a lot of it as bullshit too. 
And that kind of makes me excited because again, like I said, every generation swings and it takes 15 or 20 years for the generation to really find what they stand for. But once they do, it's kind of cool, but I, I do, I see a lot of optimism coming out of that generation. Now I struggle with that a little bit because as a grandmother and we're raising a, a teen granddaughter right now, uh, there are, she, there are a lot of kids in Kenzie's generation that are being raised by their grandparents because their parents are just toast. And, um, also these kids are going to be, are being told that all, all the different, uh, genders that you can be and critical race theory and the, uh, glaciers are melting and everybody's going to drown and stuff. So I struggle. I work to provide encouragement for her you know when things are kind of looking bleak i said it's a pendulum it may look bad we may go into bad times we may have to start figuring out how to grow our own food and do stuff but it will swing back i just want you to know that all is not lost you are not going to be inheriting a terrible earth and you know what and i and i want to take this a little bit further whenever i was in, i'm i was i was born in 62 so in the 70s we had this commercial and it, and it fit for the time. It was an old Native American with tears running down his face because he was surrounded by garbage. And he was looking at his earth being completely decimated by people who didn't care. And it was that bad. You could see the smoke being belched into the sky. You could see the garbage on the shorelines. You could see the garbage floating down the rivers. So we've already actually come a long way even from that. So therefore, I, I try to encourage Kinsey to understand that regardless, even if things get bad, and they may, they will get better. Yeah, definitely. And um, one more thought I kind of had on the, the the generational thing was that currently a lot of the, you know, the way jobs are performed, the way most people who are just in the kind of the general workforce, everything's very compartmentalized. And there's so many spaces between the action you take and the final product that it's very easy to not be held accountable, especially in, you know, what you call like unskilled work or um, entry level work. It's real easy to pass it off onto a, a supervisor or another employee or whatever. And uh, if, if there's not a direct line of you are responsible for this, things, things get very bad for you. If you mess up, uh, I think people will, like we said, kind of go for those shortcuts in that, in that human nature method. One other thing I'm going to say about, well, two things, <laughs> the generation, the Gen Zs, uh, when Theseus was talking about it, I think I really feel bad for them with the anxiety that's being beat over the top of their head. It's horrible. And mm -hmm. the, the time we just went through the last two years made it worse, <laughs> but all of it, you know, um, I was listening to Mike Rose podcast the other day and he had uh, Alex Epstein on there. I don't know if any of you guys have listened to him before. Wow. Is he a cool dude? He, he's more of a humanist than humanists are. I mean, he basically believes in the fact that <clears throat> for the most part, humanity will solve their problems. And for the most part, humanity has gotten much better over the last hundred years, despite what kids are being beat over the head with. So I, I feel bad for that. But the other thing I was going to say is I think the Gen Z's are going to have to be self-starters as well, because with things like automation and just the lot, you know, jobs disappearing in general, the content creation, the social media, whatever it is, people need to create. 
And there's no boss over your shoulder saying, hey, make a YouTube video or, hey, do a TikTok. You know, they have to do that themselves if they want to make money. And I think the whole creation economy is going to be where they're heading. And I think they're going to have to be self-starters for it. Because like you're talking about with the compartmentalized workplaces, Carrie, is I think that's coming to an end. A lot of it anyway. Not not all of it, but a lot of it. And even the more people who are working from home at this point, they they have a lot more independence as well. They have to be self-starters because, you know, okay, if you don't do your job, you're going to get in trouble, but you don't have somebody looking over your shoulder saying, hey, do this right now, you know? Yeah, for sure. That actually leads us really well into my next question for you guys. So there's kind of a fine line between stoicism and nihilism. So what steps do you try to take to make sure in, in the effort of controlling your emotions, controlling your reactions, that you don't kind of slide down into the so-called dark side? And go ahead, Thesia. Well, I'm, I'm learning a new trick. Now, it's not a trick. But I'm, tr I'm learning something new. Uh, Ten minutes before I joined you, I had a, a teenage granddaughter who just lost a softball game and she was emotional and chewing me out. Now I'm trying to, and you know what? I won't lie. Being a grandma, when you're raising a grand, when you're raising the grandkid, it takes the fun out of being a grandma sometimes because you got to be the disciplinarian too. But I'm learning to be the voice of reason and try to be calm and try to keep her from being disrespectful at the same time too. So uh, I'm, I'm learning that one. I've come a long way from the rolling out of bed at three days old to being a mediator <laughs> for, for a teenage granddaughter. Uh, for, but nihilism, man, I think, I don't think I could do that because I've got so many other things I've got to think about. I can't think about myself necessarily, even, even as I'm trying to build my YouTube channel and everything else I'm doing, I'm doing it for, my family and uh uh i've just i've just got to I, I don't know i don't like this saying but keep my nose to the grindstone you know i was gonna say earlier too i don't want to take over ken esh's job but i was gonna say i was gonna quote abraham lincoln or a, 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 a variance of it is we're all just about as happy as we make up our minds to be <laughs> i like it Um, clarify a little bit the what do you mean by I'm not sure how where the fine line is between stoicism and nihilism. Nihilism being the the thought that life doesn't have meaning or nothing has meaning, right? Correct. Yeah. Um stoicism, I guess, being, you know, trying to be as level and even keeled as possible. So I mean I I, I kind of see where you're going there. I guess when I think of nihilism and think of life not having meaning, my first thought goes to Solomon, the Bible, who is the wisest, wealthiest man ever. And even he said, it's all meaningless. Nothing has meaning. And it's because he was chasing the wrong things. Mm. Um, when when we when I go back to what I said earlier, when when we're looking for happiness from other people or from other things for that to bring us our happiness, like when we're dependent on another substance, another person, another a new phone or, or the, 
the bigger TV or the nicer car or having a bigger house than my neighbors got. When, when that is where your happiness comes from, I can see how you would come to the feeling that life doesn't have meaning because that stuff doesn't bring you happiness. Happiness, again, goes back to doing what I'm good at and making a difference for somebody. You know, Tim can attest to this. You know, I build decks. Tim also builds decks. He's, he's a handyman. He does all these things, goes out and, and uses what he's good at and what he enjoys at. Same for me, same for Thesia, Nate, Carrie. You do the things you enjoy and that you're good at and you, and you make a difference for somebody. Go, go, you know, the work might not be fun at the time. I don't always love building decks. Sometimes I hate it, but to see the finished product, it's like, wow, I just did something good. I, I, I'm good at that. You know, you can stand back and look and say, wow, that has meaning. I made a difference for somebody. I don't know. That's, that's kind of where I go with that. Maybe that's not, the line of thinking you're going for but no I, I wanted i wanted to hear your your take that's that's what it's all about how about you nate all right so when it comes to humanity i am a pessimist um when it comes to aaron and i i'm an optimist so you know it's the way we figure the way we do things is um We'll figure it out. We'll move, you know, throw the next thing at us. We want to, you know, keep moving and moving where we look at some of the people generally that we deal with. And it's like, well, fuck you guys. I don't want to deal with any of this stuff. And we just walk away. I mean, I've done that more this year than I care to admit. But we want to keep it positive when we're trying new things. So it's, it's hard to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> I feel like it, it's hard when you look upon the masses and sometimes it's like, you know, I, I go down to like the regular grocery store instead of our little farm stands and markets and stuff. And like, I can't wait to get out of there. I'm like, I, I can't this. Mm -mm. No, not, not these people. All right, Tim, how about you? I think I'm an optimistic realist. I've always been a realist. You know, I, I you know, I'll, I'll tell people like, you know, no matter how hard you work and how hard you try on something, there's still the possibility that shit's going to go sideways and you're not going to succeed. I had a teacher in grade eight, my probably my favorite teacher all the way through. His name is Gary Dunn, still living, great guy. He's my social studies teacher. And he had a great big banner above the door heading out of class. And it said, hard work equals success. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. And I don't necessarily agree with that because I think that's overly optimistic. What I would like to say is lack of hard work guarantees failure. And to me, that's my realist end of things. I've never been a nihilist. Um, you know, even in my staunch Christian days, I definitely wasn't a nihilist as far as humanity is horrible, whether you have a, you know, a point to life or not. But, um, you know, I'm probably closer to a humanist at this point where I, you know, I believe in, I definitely don't believe all humans are good, <laughs> but I definitely believe in the ability of humans to solve their own problems, which I like. But yeah, I'm definitely a realist. I, I don't, I, I tend, if I tend one way or the other, I definitely tend slightly more toward the optimism, but I'm definitely a realist. I, I like to tell people how it is and I like to view things how they are. And 
you know, try not to be too overly optimistic or too nihilist. Yeah, it's all about striking that balance. Uh, it's kind of a daily job. So the last question I got for you guys is, uh, you know, some people seem to feed on giving and receiving negative energy. And this is probably a duh, but have you experienced that kind of person on, on either end? And if you have, how have you dealt with it? So go ahead, Thesia. Uh, you know what? I This is kind of a more of a personal thing for me, even though I wasn't a negative. I don't think I was a negative person, but I had went through such a rough period of time in my life that I actually woke up every morning expecting something bad to happen to me because a lot of things that bad had happened to me at the time. And then I remember going, I have to get peace. I have to work toward having peace in my life. And, uh, I, and I actually spent two or three years alone to be by myself to kind of get in, get into my own head. I mean, I had to still had to deal with life. Don't get me wrong. But my first couple of years out here on the property was just working the land, being by myself and not being around people. We had a, we owned a laundromat where my husband owned a laundromat and, uh, and forgive me if I sound negative, but laundromat people are, they're a different breed. And I, and I had to, I had to deal with them day in and day out. And I needed to be alone to, to learn how to uh, function within myself. Cause you, you do become when you, when you spend too much time with people like that, you, it, it messes you up. It really does. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't have time for that. I've got too many other things I've got to get done right now. For sure. All right, Ken. I would probably tend to the negative side myself if I allowed, allowed myself to. Um, I don't know. I try to say I'm an optimist. My wife always said, no, you're, you're, you're a, uh, <laughs> you're, you're a negative. You tend towards the negative side. And, and that would be true. I, I like to, um, pick at things if I allow myself to, I can definitely drag things down into the weeds. So it is, it is a lot of work. I mean, I, I have, I say it's a lot of work. I have worked hard to not be that person because nobody likes to be around that person. I don't like it. And I've recognized that in other people. Sometimes it's your own family and there's not always a lot you can do to, to get away from it. So, I mean, you just have to have to limit your exposure sometimes. And sometimes you just have to walk away or, or just shut up and, and, and not engage in that negativity. Like it has to just bounce off of you. I don't know. It's, it's not really an answer, but that's, I haven't really found a great way to deal with it other than just to insulate yourself from it and to try not to be that person. Yeah. Yeah. Actually you stole my answer, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nate. I, I don't do, do well with negative people. Um, a couple years ago, John Willis over at SOE said, you can be a hundred percent dude and you bring a dude that's in fit, you know, a 50% dude into your circle. Well, you're going to lose 25% to bring him up to your level. Mm -hmm. So don't deal with that shit. Mm -hmm. And that that's spot on. If you, if you're negative, I have no time because I am not going to get drugged down in the bullshit and get stuck there and be a worse off person. So it's, it's easier for me to 
walk away, not worry about it, and you know, just be the bigger person. That's that's the reality of it. Yeah. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. I got to say, it's pretty easy for me to be the bigger person because it's rarely that I run into somebody who's smaller than me. So, uh, but I got to say, as I've said, and as I told you earlier, I I was a pushover for a lot of time. So what that usually meant was I never stood up or pushed back against people who are negative. So I just let them hang around and be negative. And then that 25% drug me down simply because I didn't stand up and say anything. You know, and for a lot of years, I just did. I just listened to people who were negative. I'd, I'd keep them in the family. It didn't matter. And then recently, two, three years ago, I cut someone out of the family 100%. I was done. It was just, yeah, it was a cesspool. It was, um, I don't even know how to put it. It was just, it was a horrible situation and needed to go. And I did it. And it was the best thing I ever did. But as far as negative people, you know, they're, you know, we've got a, quite a few people who are close to us who tend toward that. We tend to keep our distance. And I call them the must be nice people because that's exactly what they are. Every time they meet someone, oh, must be nice. Wow, look at the business they have. Must be nice. And I said, I said to Becky one time, I said, you know what? All they got to do is change it from must be nice to good for them. And all of a sudden, 95% of what they do will change. You know, I just... I hate must be nice. It pisses me off to no end. So I, I always try to say now, good for them because, hey, that's a success mindset. And I don't have much time for all that negative bullshit anymore. Yeah, right I, used to, I used to be one of those people, Tim, the must be nice people. Me and too. Then, then I got my ass kicked and somebody got on my case hard and I am 100% the opposite. I am, you know, I see a nice car driving down the road. Congrats. That's awesome. You know, I mm-hmm. see a guy wearing a nice watch. Awesome. Good for you. How do I get there? You know what? And I, yeah, I should have said that too. I absolutely was too. I mean, we, we suffered in poverty for a long time. And a lot of that came out of the must be nice mindset. Look, look what they have. Oh, they've got a cabin. They've got a boat. They've got an RV. Must be nice. And then all of a sudden something changed. And I'll, I'll be honest. I think a lot of it was listening to the Sarago podcast for a lot of years because Jack talked about that all the time about the must be nice mentality and how, uh, you know, antithetical it is to success. And I, that helped me a lot for sure. That was a big part of it, but yeah, until you can change it, you're not going to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. I think I was somewhere in the middle for a long time, but it wasn't so much. It must be nice, but it's like, what are they doing that? I don't, what makes them better than me that they have it. And I don't, I, and so I spent a lot of time, trying to figure out what, what it was that was different that where they could do it. And I didn't. And, and I I think maybe even still I'm working on that. Yeah. And I think that's probably the the common ground that we all share is that we're number one, we're all paying attention to this. We're not just blindly stumbling our way through life, but we're, we're watching our reactions. We're noticing the reactions of others. We're figuring out the best way to respond you know, acknowledging when we've messed up and correcting it and apologizing and taking all those steps of personal responsibility that while it's not always the most fun thing to experience, uh, it gets you in a better position to move forward. So I came across stoicism 
the last couple of years that I was on the ambulance because I had pretty much decided that that was not going to be the rest of my life um, and that I needed to make an exit, but that that was the best place for me to make a certain amount of kind of seed money to set me up for the next stage. So I needed to figure out what I had to do to put my head down and really make it happen and not be miserable the whole time. And I asked the question about the negative energy, the energy vampire types, because, you know, when you work on the truck, you get different partners all the time. Some people always have the same partner, but I had revolving partners because I was part time and I made my own schedule. And after many years of various partners, I went from having a partner who would be all jacked up over something and then recognizing that I was getting jacked up for no real reason, no reason at all. And then I would have a calm partner and then I would be calm. And then I settled on being calm all the time, no matter what. And then the jacked up partners would come back and work with me later. And then suddenly they would also be calm. So that was kind of a cool thing to see. Not everybody, but there were a few. And, you know, maybe it's, we there's, you know, there, there's a, a, a process and maturity happens and that kind of thing. But I just realized that recognizing what you were feeling and addressing it and not just hopping on that roller coaster and going along for the ride made all the difference and it made stress go down. I could think clearly. I could make rational decisions. So I just felt like it was something worth sharing. I, I think almost everybody I've, I've encountered in kind of the agorist and freedom and homesteading communities are already operating under these principles, even though they're not really describing them in the way that they're posted up on Wikipedia. I think it's kind of cool. Sometimes we don't always realize like in this freedom based communities that we have all the similarities that we have. And then when we either meet in person or we start sitting around and chatting, you realize that a lot of us have a lot of similar personality traits and you don't necessarily meet people that have those personality traits in your day to day, but it's kind of cool that, you know, the anarchist, the freedom, the agorist, whatever you want to call it, there really tends to be a certain type of person that's either drawn to it or those people who are drawn to it become a certain type of person. And I love that. Bingo. Yeah. So yeah, that's what I got for you guys. Uh, I love it. I, I love hearing all your answers. Uh, it's given me a lot to think about. Um, I value your all's experience and, and your time and, and the fact that you get on here and we get to have these kind of conversations. So that's pretty much what I got. Ken set up the stream. So I'm going to kind of hand it over to him now. And uh, I don't know what to do next. I did my part. I followed my notes. Y'all y'all were <laughs> awesome. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, let's just go around and say where people can find us. And uh, Carrie, why don't you start since you're, you're at the beginning? We'll end with Tim. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, strongrootsresources.com is the website where I can help you design your homestead. I don't care if it's in the city, in the suburbs, or on a few acres. I can help you put everything together. And uh, if you're somewhat local to Knoxville, you can even get my labor as well. And uh, I still don't have a YouTube. <laughs> I'll let you guys know if I ever get a video up, but it's probably not going to happen anytime soon. But yeah, it's on the usual social media platforms. And uh, always, always happy to uh, answer questions or give some guidance. And we're going to be doing some workshops and some small classes out here on the farm by the fall. So I'll make announcements on that when we've got it on the calendar. I have uh, a YouTube channel called Ellis Family Farms. It 
is a way for you to watch some old lady try to figure out how to make her life move forward. And you're going to discover that I enjoy what I'm doing. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm usually laughing while I'm figuring out how to do it too. So uh, yeah, I can be found at Ellis Family Farms on YouTube. And then I'm on all different variations of Thesea Ellis on uh, MeWe, Instagram, and all the other ones also. I'm Ken. I've got the Constructive Liberty podcast on all the podcatchers, um, podcast.constructiveliberty.com. Talk about designing a lifestyle of freedom, personal growth, kind of starting your own small business, homestead things, all all things of that genre, basically creating a better life. So that's where you can find me is that Constructive Liberty podcast. Yep. I'm Nate from Two Chicks Homestead. We do a weekly podcast. We actually have episode 30 coming out tomorrow night. Uh, that'll be a, like a little medical recap that we did. We gave a class over the, this past weekend. Uh, a few other updates that we did. Uh, you guys can find all the information at twochickshomestead.com. All right. Yeah. So you can find me. Toolman Tim at the workshop, uh, YouTube, or in all the podcast feeds, three episodes a week. Uh, if you want to meet up with me in person, I'm going to be at Prepper Camp last weekend in September in Saluda, North Carolina. And then the following week, I'm going to be at Self-Reliance Festival in Camden, Tennessee, the first weekend in October, which is awesome. I'm really excited. Two weeks south of the border always makes me happy. And I also have a really cool show coming up on Friday. Friday morning, 11 a.m. Mountain Time, I have William Forshton, I always have a problem with his last name, the author of One Second After. He's coming on, and it's going to be an awesome, awesome show. I, I was a big get for the workshop. I cannot wait. I'm uh, going to do my best not to be starstruck and uh, give you guys a great interview, so it should be fun. Awesome. Don't forget, you can always listen to Fireside Freedom on... Um, What's the podcast app? Help me out. Fountain here. FM. Fountain. Fountain. FM. Yes. And stream the sats while you listen. And that goes to all the different creators. We get like five cents every time you listen. <laughs> Y'all making a great week. Thanks, guys. Have a good one, guys.